I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. That's you. I've seen you before. That's cool. Now we are <laughs> officially going out there, this Twitter space uh, pushback talks special. Me in Mexico City, you in Ottawa, Canada. Let's start in Madrid. We've been to Madrid and Spain before. What do you say, Leilani? Let's call in uh, Javier Gil in uh, Madrid. Javier, can you just unmute yourself and, and welcome to the, to the podcast? Hello, good afternoon from Madrid. Hola, Javier, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien, ¿qué tal vosotros? Hi, Javier. Hola, ¿qué tal? Tell us what you've been, you're active in a tenant union in Madrid and you've been fighting our favorite enemy, uh, Blackstone. Yes, that's, we've been facing actually the 2008 financial crisis had a huge effect in Madrid because of the years of the boom. Uh, basically, over the last decades, Spain had specialized in the real estate sector and there was a huge boom. And then after 2008, there was a huge crisis and there were hundreds of thousands of evictions. In this context, uh, there was a huge movement to resist these evictions, but uh, still the banks were uh, becoming the biggest real estate agents of the country, but they were also having a lot of liquidity problems, uh, basically with Basel III and so on. So in 2013 and in 2012, the government uh, really did a lot of change, a lot of laws in order to attract what we call here uh, vulture funds, such as Blackstone, Cerberus, Lone Star, and so on. And from 2013 onwards, they uh, started massively investing in Spain, buying these houses of evicted families for, uh, owned now owned by banks and also non-performing loans. And in very few years, they became um, the biggest homeowners of, of Spain. Right now, Blackstone is the biggest homeowner in Spain. It entered Spain in 2013, buying public housing below market price. And uh, then during the next years, it kept on buying huge portfolios, housing for portfolios from banks. And in 2017, it became the first home, private homeowner of Spain. They are... Yeah, yeah sorry? No, no, it's, it's... I mean, this is what we've been talking about, Leilani. They are... They are for them, it's buying undervaluated assets don't read they don't think about homes you know it's like it's just an asset on the market oh there has been a crisis good for us we can buy it to a much lower price maybe 50 percent or maybe 20 percent of the market value leilani this is what you we've seen also in the u.s isn't it absolutely and that what javier is talking about what what i i what he you know they're the largest homeowner now in in Madrid or in Spain, it sh suggests how aggressive they are. And that's why in Spain they call them vulture funds. I, I, I love that term, Javier. Uh, but they're very aggressive in their tactics. They have a lot of money in their pockets that they can use and they have a lot of political power. So they are aggressive and they move in and they squeeze others out. So... Um, yeah, I mean the Spain situation is uh, is emblematic. What is happening right now? You're in you're in a struggle right now, Javier. Actually, right now we won a struggle against Blackstone, but hey. we're heading to have to have a new one. Basically, what has <laughs> happened is that uh, Blackstone uh, once they were acquiring all these portfolio, all these housing portfolios, when the contract, when the lease was finished, immediately they would offer a new contract to the family to the household with an, a rent increase or between 80 to 100%. So nearly most cases doubled. Wow. So basically, in, after with these political changes that the government took in 2013, after 2014, until the pandemic, there was a huge, uh, uh, a new inf um, infl inflationary rate, housing inflationary rate, a new speculative cycle. Housing, rental housing in Spain increased over 50%, in places like Madrid and Barcelona, over 60%. So there was a, a huge, a, a new housing crisis, this time not articulated through mortgages, but on the rental sector. And it affected not only most vulnerable people, but it affected the whole, the whole, the whole of society, you know? So in this context, the main, the main actors that were, let's say, performing this type of aggressive tactics of management, of housing management, uh, were these vulture funds. And Blackstone, what we found is that they were systematically all over Madrid, not only Madrid City, but all around the state of Madrid, they were performing these rent increases of 100 or 80% more. 
in this context, in 2017, we founded the Madrid and the Barcelona Tenants Union. Tenants Union in Spain uh, are new. We're not like another countries like Sweden and so on. Uh, they're new. We, only, we have less than five years. And basically, we do it in response to this new crisis uh, uh, on rental. Where our strategy is that since contracts, housing contracts only last three years now after the last law reform, five years, seven years if you're an investor. Okay, so now after our, our fighting, our struggles in 2019, we managed to push rental contract from three years to five or to seven years if your landlord is a, a private equity or a company. So, be, but when Blaston bought all these houses, what they were doing is putting in abusive rent increase. So what we are saying to the tenants is, do not accept this rent increase. Even if it's legal, it's not legitimate. We're living a new speculative bubble, creative government in, in relation with the Spanish banks and now these vulture funds. So we must resist. We must stay in our home, not sign the contract, not sign the new housing contract, and keep on paying what you were doing, what we were paying before. This is basically a partial rent strike, but it's not oh. like not paying your house in legal, in a legal way, you know, because you're still paying your old contract, but you are out of contract. This is illegal. So this is how, if uh, the landlord is not negotiating, this is the type of, of civil disobedience practice we put, uh, we deploy. It's like the same when families are getting evicted by a bank, when people go and resist in the door to stop it. So this is another type of repertoire in order to fight these abusive rent increases. This is really, it's really cool to, to hear. It's amazing. And Javier, it's amazing. It's, I think, Leilani, one, one amazing thing is, you know, we were in Barcelona and when we shot Push, it was when? In 2017, 18? 18, maybe. 18. And uh, met with Ada Colau. Ada Colau is born out of the, this against, you know, the eviction movement. So this, yeah. the evictions and the housing crisis in Spain has actually shifted the whole politics of Spain. But I think it's kind of horrible to also hear that Blackstone is still evicting people. So it's, it's not something that happened yes. in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14. Now, 2022, they keep evicting people. It's, it's so brutal. It's so violent. And... and and shame on them, Leilani, but we have to fight them. Shame on them, but we have to fight them and listen to what Javier says, right, about what they've won. They've increased the length of tenancy and particularly where you're living in a financialized unit. That's a huge accomplishment and, and an amazing achievement. And I love this resistance against... Uh, signing new contracts where they're raising the rents by a hundred percent—it's it's it's obscene and it it may be in quotes legal, but it's not legitimate. I really liked what Javier said, and I think so many of us in other parts of the world can draw inspiration from the tenants' union that has uh, emerged out of Spain. I'm so glad you're with us, Javier, because it gives us a some hope that, you know, tenants are strong. There's millions and millions of tenants around the world. And imagine the power of those millions and millions of tenants against the fin financialized landlords. Uh, friends out there, uh, this is a, a pushback talks on Twitter spaces. And uh, I can already see that we have old friends like Brent, uh, Weatherman, and we have Leon from, uh, I mean, from uh, from uh, Vancouver and Brit uh, Victoria. But I can also see that we have people coming in from uh, Victor in Buenos Aires. Is there anybody from Mexico here who wanted to speak up about? Because it's we know that in Mexico there is also they are fighting for a new tenant legislation, a tenant law. So if there anybody out there who can tell us about that, uh, but you just. Call in, say I want I want to speak, uh, and then it's easier for me to to invite you. But Javier, uh, what is what is happening now? The next for you? Um, yeah, basically just to end up uh, how this struggle ended. Basically, what we started doing is organizing blocks, what we call blocks in struggle, and this is many households in the same building. Uh, not signing the new lease to Blackstone and putting the money of the rent money on court because Blackstone was not accepting this money. And we started doing this massively all, all around the communities of Spain. After two years and campaigning, we took Blackstone, we did protests against Blackstone, we took also Blackstone to court for another reasons. We went on the media explaining this. When you would go to the blocks, it was full of banners against Blackstone. So when they were trying to rent the empty, vacant housing to other 
tenants, uh, the new tenants would not want to live there because they saw it was a blocking struggle. And after two years, uh, Blackstone was going to be able to uh, evict our people because at the end of the day, even if it, if it, if it is not legitimate, legitimate, they have the, um, the, the law on their side. A couple of months ago, and Blackstone negotiated with us and every tenant who fought with that with us got a new contract with around an 8% rent increase, which is kind of like the inflation rate. We have people paying uh, for one apartment 700 euros, the person who fought, and the person who didn't fight for the same apartment paying 1,400 euros, doubled amount. So this is a real example that when uh, tenants organize in their blocks and they fight and they organize with the housing movement and housing organizations, they can win and they can have the, the rights, uh, they can defend their rights. It's, it's, I mean, you are an inspiration. We've already said that before, <laughs> that uh, the, the struggle in Spain is, uh, it, you're ahead of many other countries. And of course, you also have a weaker protection in your legislation, so, so you have to fight harder, but it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. And, and but talking about that, Berlin has also been a very strong inspiration. So if there's anybody from Germany in the waiting room, just tell us if, if you're out there. Uh, because we would be cool to to see. Uh, I I have Pablo here. Where are you? Where are you based, Pablo? Uh, Mal, are you are you out there? If so, call in. Uh, there he goes. Javier, thank you very much, Pablo. Where are you? I'm in Barcelona, actually. I'm oh. a student for the master in management in the build environment from TU Delft. And I'm doing my thesis in financialization and the implementation of housing rights in their portfolios. So, for housing. So, uh, I, and for me, it's really amazing to hear about Javier and, and it's a position that I really, it's glad, I'm glad to know that uh, there's a lot of initiatives and activism here in Spain because I'm, I'm trying to find a little bit more about it. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Pablo. Maybe, will, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to thank Pablo as well. And maybe uh, now is a good time for me to tell our listeners that uh, I have been working with a whole group of uh, about 100 people, actually, to develop a set of human rights directives on the financialization of housing. So taking the examples, uh, the bad examples from places like Spain, Ireland, Canada, the U.S., um, uh, Mexico, uh, many places, Buenos Aires, Argentina, etc., exposing how bad financialization is, why it's a human rights issue, and then providing a set of recommendations of what governments can do to push back and make sure the right to housing is available for everyone. And uh, these will be released soon, hopefully in the spring, in, in April or May. Um, but really trying to build on the work of those of you on the ground doing incredible things and, and um, waging protests uh, against the financialization. Um, so I'll just put that out there and let's, uh, I'll bounce it back to you, Frederick, see if there's more people who want to speak up. Yeah, thank you, Pablo, for calling in. Uh, it's it's very nice to that. And, and uh, Keep, keep us posted, both you and Javier, on what's going on in both Madrid and Barcelona, but also in other cities in Spain. Uh, so I, I, will, I would like to call to, to Victor Pompinho in, uh, I think, Buenos Aires. Uh, but if you, if you want to speak, tell us. I would like to listen to you. Then you just call it. You, you just tell us. We also have uh, Rosalba here from Mexico. Uh, if you want to tell us something about the ongoing situation in Mexico, as the, as push is now going up on theaters here in in Mexico, tell us if you want to, if we can listen to your voice. Uh, and that goes for anybody. Don't be shy. We want to have voices from many countries uh, because you, Leilani, I didn't, I, I, you know, I told you that we now have listeners in 135 countries, and and you have lost track in who the new ones are. That's, <laughs> that's I have, I have <laughs> lost track. So who are the new ones? What are the new countries? Who's listening to pushback talks? 
uh, <laughs> it, it, it's uh, I mean waiting for uh, I I know Leon is waiting to get in so you will you will we don't worry Leon we will let you in but uh, I'm just wanted to see if other countries come so new countries I, I listed now or Brent is, too uh, Brent too uh, Armenia Saint Martin Seychelles Uzbekistan Botswana Cabo Verde Bhutan that's kind of huh? a cool list. Do you know, here's a little known fact, a little known fact, Cabo Verde, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a small a set of islands off the west coast of Africa, uh, colonized by the Portuguese uh, way back, uh, is the first place I visited when I was UN Special Rapporteur as an official visit. And, you know, it was so fascinating to be there. I mean, they have the usual problems of tourism and poverty, um, you know, putting pressures on a on a housing system. Um, they were uh, previously one of like the least developed countries in the world. When I got there, they were um, a little more developed, but still very, really struggling. Um, but uh, there was not even an NGO sector in Cabo Verde when I was there. There were charitable organizations, but there was not like advocates and, and um, so many people you know, trying to push for better housing through uh, advocacy. So it would be interesting to know from our Cabo Verde spe- um, listener uh, whether things have changed in the last eight years since I was last there. So if you have friends in, in the housing movement in Cabo Verde, please write to us so we can get updates. We have uh, Dick Crane who wanted to talk to us. Dick, are you there? Oh, hi. Yes, I'm, I'm here, but I, I wasn't ready to speak just yet. I'm calling from North Kensington, where part of the film was um, shot. Oh, uh, right. Underneath Grenfell Tower. And yes, obviously, you know, you mentioned earlier that the um, the, the Russian money that is in um, Kensington, um, you know, has made this the most... Uh, valuable investment and the safest investment in the world oh right and, and what that's done throughout um, the borough has forced um like, like everywhere you know has forced prices right up and um forcing people out generations of people who've been living in north kensington are being 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 basically forced out um so uh, it wasn't the point i necessarily wanted to make but you're on the spot and i'm happy to talk um, no, I, I thank you, Dick, because I think this it's thank you very much for making this film. It's, I, I'm, it's one of the best films and most important films um, at, at the moment. I'm trying to get it shown through the community. People are beginning to watch it and um, great work you're doing. So thank you all of you from, from all around the world. Thank you. We Actually, we, we talked. I mean, uh, Push in the UK got we, we just launched it. And then uh, Nicholas Burton from Grenfell uh, was supposed to travel with the film around the UK. But then the pandemic happened and everything got cancelled. But our, our, our UK distributor actually wants to do a campaign this summer. So if you want to be a part of that, just tell us. We can, we can yes, join forces in some way. Yes, yeah. please. And I'm, 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 so, I'm in touch with Nick so we can, we can perhaps message each other afterwards somehow and take that. Yeah, you should reach out to Johnny Tull. Johnny Tull is our UK distributor. So it's, it's a very good way of, of doing it. Okay. Because I think... It, when we now talk about Russians, we're a little bit missing the story, don't, don't we, Leilani? Because this is not about Russians. This is about housing as uh, an asset on a financial market. Yeah, this is about big money. That's exactly right. And just using housing as a, a piggy bank or... Yeah. Uh... And stolen money. Because, I mean, they, they are also, this money is also stolen from the, from the Russian people. No, actually, absolutely. Stolen money, dirty money. Uh, money that comes from bad places, from the from from bad industries, shall we say? Whether it's arms trade, uh, sexual trafficking, etc. So, um, and you know, tied to this is is my concern with this golden visa programs. Um, I saw it golden visa programs at work in uh, Portugal, and uh, Frederick has seen them in Cyprus. Uh, you know, it's it's a way, I don't know if people know about how the golden visa programs work in much of Europe, uh, particularly Southern Europe and the, the countries that are really struggling um, through austerity measures. But basically, they give away citizenship if uh, investment is made in property. And of course, who is who is investing in property? It is these very oligarchs that we're talking about. It is people with dirty money, people who need to be able to evacuate their own countries at a moment's yes. notice. And, and 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 Dick Kensington, and I know Nick Burton's favorite team is Chelsea, who is now owned by 
an oligarch and he has a British citizenship and he has a, an Israeli citizenship and he has a Portuguese citizenship, Abrahamovic. So I, I, well, he, uh, was, he, was, he was sanctioned today, uh, yeah, but that's no. pretty much two weeks after the uh, war begun. And the general consensus is, is that the oligarchs have been given two weeks to get their money out of, out of the UK. The sale of his big home on Palace Gardens, um, the transfer of ownership of Chelsea. Yeah, somebody posted a picture on Twitter yesterday of the city of London, and underneath it, the comment, my beautiful laundrette. <laughs> yes. I, actually, I actually saw a very interesting Twitter story today uh, about a young Russian girl in London posting, you know, this kind of young rich girl stories. Uh, and it was actually the daughter of a relative of the Russian foreign minister, who, of course, also him, Lavrov, has a lot of money placed in, in London. And also the Putin's own family, because both Lavrov and Putin has two different families with two different women. And they all also operate in your, your, your uh, borough. Uh, so it's, 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 but not only Russian money. We should remember this is money stolen from Nigeria, from Angola, from uh, Well, from the other Brazil. big players, the other big yeah. players in, in Kensington, Chelsea, are sovereign wealth funds specifically from the Middle East. So this is yeah. oil money, yeah? yeah? And oil money is coming in and buying up swathes of Kensington and Chelsea. And I know it's happening elsewhere, but, but, but basically it's money above and beyond just investment banks. Yeah. Dick, do you see, I mean, this, this action now taken by your government today against Abrahamovic, uh, do you think, could that be widened, widened to go after other criminals with money? Because that would change the map. In a bit. I mean, that would be really good for the citizens of, of London if you kind of blocked. We don't want to have stolen money here anymore. But we don't want thieves. Potentially, but our government um, is, is, is facilitating this. London, that's why I'm saying that London specifically, politically, legally, it's a safe bet and it's the best return on money in the world. Yeah. Kensington and Chelsea square meters this is a fact yeah yep it's considered one of the wealthiest boroughs in the world as we know uh and so there is no bad investment in in kensington chelsea i i had heard and just to go back that the uk was considering getting rid of the golden visa program that they have there um but again i think these are i think in the uk there's and um you know, I think there's talking out of both sides of the mouth from the government, because as you say, they've created a landscape that is completely hospitable to this kind of oligarch money and big finance. I mean, the UK says quite with pride that one of their export industries is real estate and 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 finance. Um, I mean, that's the you know, other countries export um, iPhones uh, computers and the UK exports finance and real estate. And I mean, that should be shocking to all of us. Um, and so, you know, we do have to, we do have to query, um, all these moves that the UK government is doing, these small little things is, is this going to address the big picture? Probably not. Yeah. Th thank you for calling in. Uh, it's really nice. And let's keep the contact. Your hard work and his brilliant, brilliant film, very brave, very visionary. Thank you. Thank you very much. I can see my friend uh, Sylvia Wollenhoven in, in uh, Johannesburg is there. Sylvia, can you just speak to us? I would like to hear your voice. You just you have to tell us that you want to be a part of this. And also other, other friends tell us we want to have voices from many different countries. That's why I'm, I'm waiting a little bit with the, the Canadians because we have, <laughs> we have Leilani here. There's, there's someone named Julio who wants to speak, but I don't know where they're from. Is Julio still out there wanting to speak? Uh, I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, yeah. I'm from El Salvador. Yeah. Ah, El Salvador. Welcome. Thanks a lot uh, for, I don't know if, if it was my turn or someone else was. You're sure. welcome. You're welcome. We, we, Leilani and I was in, actually in El Salvador and showed push. Were you there at the screening? Oh, no, I wasn't, but I was aware that, that uh, there was a show in here a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really... I really appreciate uh, the film. I think it's great. Um, the only thing that I think that, that I've been thinking a lot is is that a lot of the conversation has been centered uh, around uh, large metropolitan areas, uh, mainly in the global north. Um, I'm 
currently an, an anthropologist doing work uh, here in El Salvador, and here the trend is that um, developers are taking no, no over uh, rural land, and that's mainly because El Salvador has been going like a lot of like uh, 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 has undergone a long period of agrarian decline. So I basically what I study are the kind of like the tactics and strategies that developers use to kind of like uh, dispossess uh, people from their land and water. Um, and uh, this, I just wanted to, to mention that it would be like good to actually to focus also on those uh, patterns that happen in, in in the global south. And this is about in El Salvador, in particular, this is about to get uh, worse with the whole Bitcoin thing. Um, I'm sure. I mean, some of you might aware that the president make Bitcoin a legal tender. So that's uh, there, there's going to be a lot of like kind of like shady money coming in and taking over especially spaces uh, on the beach and stuff like that. So that's also like a different side of financialization that I think it's worth looking at. Wow, that is, yeah, that is super interesting, Julio. I, I would love to connect with you outside of this uh, Twitter spaces to learn more about this and the the implications of this Bitcoin. I hadn't heard that. Um, let me ask you, Julio, what, what when these lands are being purchased, these more aggregate cultural or agrarian lands are being purchased, what's being done with them? So, uh, I mean, in the area where I study, which is, uh, it's it's called Nuevo Cuscatlan, which actually was, uh, I mean, there's like a big story around that um, that place because that's where our current president started his political career. And what they do is, is usually they build these uh, fancy uh, neighborhoods, like gated neighborhoods. And it's a big issue because um, the the area it, it used to be mainly coffee uh, coffee estates, and there are a lot of uh, rural communities that have lived that were formed by uh, former uh, coffee economy workers, and uh, and yeah, I mean because there has been an agrarian agrarian decline since uh, the 80s, uh, I mean they just started like selling that land like really cheap and building all these these. Uh, gated neighborhoods everywhere and they're pretty much like kind of like trapping these people like people cannot like move anymore and there's a lot of like ecological issues and issues around like uh, water dispossession that's one of the main uh th problems over there and yeah and i assume in some cases these are indigenous people's lands as well and uh it's interesting it's exactly a phenomenon i saw you might be surprised to know in nigeria um, where lands were being uh, taken, they were agricultural uh, waterway lands often, and the exact same thing, gated communities, communities for wealthy people, um, they were draining the lands, causing huge ecological disruption for the fisher folk out there. So, I mean, this is a global phenomenon that you're experiencing, Julio, and, uh, and I do think you're right. Uh, we need to be looking at it. In fact, <laughs> there's even links with China. Um, if you know anything about China, you'll know that they have been decreasingly agrarian and increasingly a manufacturing um, country. And the lands, um, this, this big debacle with Evergrande, if you don't know about Evergrande, you can listen to Pushback Talks. We did an episode on it. Um, but the big, um, big, big developer and, and real estate owner, Evergrande, fell into some real problems and is um, basically bankrupt now. But they were doing the same, taking agricultural lands, building luxury uh, for investors and certainly not for local people and pushing people out. And then where do people go? And housing's expensive if they're being forced to city centers. So really glad you joined us, Julio. Uh, and let's connect afterward for sure. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you very much. And, and I think also I'm, I, I, you're right that we've been focusing a lot on big cities, uh, but I mean, when we sometimes when we speak about uh, what's happening in our cities, we we compare it with land grabbing, you know, land grabbing in Africa or in or in Latin America. So it's basically the same kind of uh, they're looking for for money uh, for places to 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 park their money. So it's the same phenomenon. And now after the pandemic, I can see also here in Mexico, it happens that the prices are going up in a lot of uh, communities around the city, up in the mountains and so on, because people are moving out. And of course, then the investors are there. So, but I, I can see that Leon from uh, Victoria, you, you, Leon, if you want to be join in now, because I know you also have an aspect of the indigenous people of, of your country up in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. 
Are you there, Leon? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank good you morning. very much. Yeah, I, uh, I I didn't get a chance to hear the fellow who just spoke, though, for some reason. I'm not sure why that is, but... Uh, but yeah, we're we're just continuing with the the same concerns because uh, and more so with public space in general. I mean, I don't know if you, uh, Lelena might might know about this, but uh, you know, in terms of public space, it's being so policed here. People who are unhoused and homeless, uh, more controlled now than I've I've seen probably in my life, um, and uh, that's sort of ongoing. It's like the whole thing about policing public space. And what I met, someone said earlier, eviction. And I thought you said addiction, and the reason, huh. <laughs> yeah, the reason why is that we people are are being evicted often uh, to the streets, and the uh, the system is uh, pushing towards. They're right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of a real push towards medicalization and institutionalization. That is still still something that we're struggling with, um, putting people, like forcing people inside because they have an addiction instead of understanding that you know people are using uh, pain relievers because there's an oppression, you know, there's a, it's like a lot of state oppression and it's, it brings a lot of pain into people's lives. So, you know, uh, they, you know, understandably go to pain relief, but what's happening is that they're being medicalized, you know, pushed towards more medicalization and institutionalization. The good news here is that, you know, and <laughs> you all know, you see me out there, like, you know, you know, really out there a lot uh, saying that we need to rally. Uh, You're so, a fierce fighter, Leon. We like, yeah. we like that. And we like to, to have you on here, because just to hear your voice is a is an energy boost for all of us. So, so thank you for keeping this fight up, Leilani. This Leon is fighting in your something that you've been been very passionate for all, all your life, the, the the homeless community. Absolutely, absolutely. And and his name is their name is not Leon. What's your name? Your your first name that you go by? First name actually is Kim, and the group is. Living and lived experience of homeless network. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm. That's right. No, no. I'm just. It's doing good. My we best. we always refer to you, Kim, as Leon. <laughs> 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 uh, what what Kim is raising is, uh, and some people might not know because some people still think of Canada as a as a really good place and a place uh, of human well being where governments care about their people. Uh, but in fact, what we find is 235,000 people living in homelessness in any year in Canada and um, uh, living in homelessness, 35,000 people living in homelessness in, in, in any year in Canada. And uh, we have a huge problem in terms of people living in parks because they've got nowhere else to go. And uh, definitely huge human rights and housing issues uh, in this country. Um, that uh, Kim is working on. And what I just will add this, Indigenous peoples are really disproportionately affected. Other groups as well, but particularly Indigenous peoples. So a uh, huge issue here. Kim, thank you for calling in. I would like to see, because we have uh, Saba Gaderi, uh, and I don't know, what, uh, Saba, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Um, I think Brent's hand was up before me. That's so fine. He, okay. Where are you um, calling from? Uh, Toronto. Oh, yeah, the city yeah. of Toronto. Yes, a yeah. huge housing housing issue here. Um, I also wanted to mention, I think one of the problems here is um, understanding what critical infrastructure is at any given point. I think a lot of money is going towards um, taking lands and building stuff that are not necessary for people and are not benefit Indigenous peoples of Canada, but also it actually impacts them in, in, in a lot of negative ways. So I feel like a kind of understanding what's critical infrastructure here is, is really important. Like when you when you have such a huge community, be it indigenous or not, that they lack housing, I think, you know, just putting money into places where it's like not really needed or into building luxury condos. Like in Toronto, there is so many. I, I work at a real estate firm, um, a law firm. So what I see is just so many builders, they're just constantly building. But what are they building, though? They're building in Toronto. It's just condos. It's luxury condos. And it's so difficult for, you know, first-time homeowners to buy. For yeah. not even that, for people to rent, people with disabilities, people with who are making minimum wage students. Like, that's that's what I feel like, you know, just the, the luxury of it and the kind of... Um, 
the 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 real estate market in Toronto is also very 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 toxic. I would say I don't know yeah. if that's the right word to use. No, toxic is a great world word. I think. Uh, I mean, Leilani and I today actually have a, an op-ed in Washington Post in the in the Spanish version of of Washington Post, and we're writing about Mexico. But also here in Mexico, we they are also building these dark towers. So maybe uh, you know condos as investment objects where people don't live. So they evict people who have been living in the neighborhood for a long time, and then they build these dark tower. So this the experience from Toronto or from Vancouver is copied all over the world. Definitely. And the thing is that in in Toronto, most people who are buying condos right now are not first time homeowners. This is the, the properties they're buying is actually their second or third. And I'm not, you know, I'm not here to judge people for buying properties. I mean, good for you. But it's there is an issue when you see a pre-construction condo being built and there's a lineup of people who already are homeowners outside that that property or the office to put their name down there is a lineup people line up here for hours mm. to buy properties that you know that are going to be available in like what next to what seven years six years four years and there's like a huge window for for builders to actually um, give the properties to people so i feel like that is also insanely toxic for people who are making minimum wage especially with covid right now there's so many people i know they could not isolate they didn't have enough room to isolate they had people in their family that had to go to work but they had how do do you live yourself Uh, how how is your 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 situation I'm thankfully I'm good, but I uh, live. My my father has a property. I live at the property. Things thankfully I'm good. But even when you have a property, the maintenance fees and the other fees are so expensive. So I personally do not have a housing issue as of now. No, but, but you're engaged, and that's very really important. So very that, solidarity is so 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 important. Uh, thank you for calling in and. And Brent, I just want to jump in, Frederick, yeah, um, in, just to say, say to Brent, in, you're welcome to fill in after this. Yes, yes. Uh, just to respond to Saba, one of the things, um, you know, she said people lining up around the, the block to purchase investment um, properties. And I mean, and she said she didn't want to stand in judgment of the people and no, but we could stand in judgment of the governments that allow this kind of thing to happen. And um, these buildings are actually purposefully built for investors. So it's not like, oh, they built a condo, but investors came in, you know, like vultures and and took it. No, the the developers are part of this. Um, And and developing these uh, properties specifically because they know there will be investors purchasing them. I just wanted to say that in Singapore, they recently, um, I think at the end of last year, beginning of this year, passed a law that um, imposes very heavy taxes on second and third property, fourth, fifth property ownership as a, a mechanism to push back against people buying, you know, e- like even just individuals, but also in investors buying more than than one um, or, you know, one unit um, for person that in other words, housing should be for personal use. If you're going to buy something, it should be for personal use. Of course, there's ways around these laws, but at least it's a move in that direction. Now, are we going to invite Brent in? Yeah, I can and we also those. have our dear friend Sorcha out there, Sorcha Edwards, the uh, Secretary General of Housing Europe. So shall we go to Brent? Yeah, let's a short, short stop by Brent because he is a friend. Welcome, yeah. Brent. Hi, hi, Frederick. Good, good day, and uh, Lalani. How are both of you doing? Hi, Brad. Hi. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> oh, no problem. It's uh, great, Frederick. I, uh, I advertised, pushed the film. I watched the documentary so many times, and analyzing <laughs> through every segment of it, and and putting it into relation of what uh, myself and what Sonia are going through, and what we have gone through, and Lalani knows the uh, the story on that, and uh, <clears throat> she's actually helped us. Uh, tremendously along our journey through this, uh, we you know, we rented from one of the vultures, um, you know, th- from uh, REIT, and I, I you know I didn't know a lot about REIT, um, you know, a rundown building, um, you know, and but we wanted somewhere to rent from, and so Lalani did a little bit of digging for me, um, which is great, and uh, thanks to you, Frederick, for the documentary because you know watching that and put it into perspective of what we went through. Um, you know, but uh, anyway, long story short is so 
we we really needed to get out of it because uh, it was just not a good environment. And but we we moved into a brand new building, a brand new condo that was being developed. We watched it getting built, but it was another big developer, right? Um, and so we you know we didn't have high income. Right. So we moved in. They accepted us in. No problem. I mean, what could go wrong? A brand new building. We get in and they realize we have you know, lower income. They allow us in. And uh, we had given our 30 days, days notice in to get out of where we lived. Right. So we get into the building and they, uh, they had uh, pot smokers in the building. Well, it that was a policy they didn't want us in. Right. Well, but I they, they deliberately set that up so that they could actually get us out of the unit. OK, so they could flip the unit over and make more money. Right. So we had an exit. Didn't really have an exit clause. So we had to rent another unit in the building for even higher income. We financially could not do it. We, we heard from the developer, um, which they were building another building from the same company down the road. And they said to be tearing down a bunch of houses in the little small community. And I thought, wow, well, and I talked to some of the neighbors and the guys lived in there for like 62 years. I mean, he was an older guy, another guy. So anyway, um, they basically bought, the company bought them all out, Frederick. They bought them all out, the whole neighborhood. Friends, your story is, it's a story of, of very, it's a very brutal story. It means that if some developers see that there is money to be made, then they, they don't mind destroying people's lives, pushing old people out in the streets. And this is not a Vancouver or Victoria story. It's a global story. We see it, we've seen it in Lisbon. You know, in some places they've been burning down houses. Or So it's, a, it's just to get rid of people. So it's, uh, it is, uh, it's scary. I just want to say to everybody out there, we are wrapping out quite soon. So if you want to join in... Uh, uh, it's time to do that. Brent, thank you much, very much for calling in. Yeah, thank you, Frederick. I appreciate you taking the time and putting this on and look forward to, if we have another one going, let us know. I mean, I'd be more than happy to come by. Thank you very much. Thank you. Leilani, the Mexico, the, the Washington Post uh, op-ed from us, it's kind of cool that, and, and, and the story here in Mexico is from this, this American girl who was tweeting here in Mexico City about how cool it was to live in a city where everything is so cheap <laughs> and people got really yeah. upset uh, but it's a story of yeah it created a, it created an amazing conversation uh, on Twitter and um, for those who don't know it was a woman who just like literally was remote working and she put out on a tweet magical Mexico or Mexico's magical everyone should come and work here and it created a firestorm of uh, tweets and a big discussion about gentrification which then became a conversation about financialization and some really interesting work going on in Mexico, not just Mexico City, Guadalajara as well, where you're going, I think, Frederick. Are you going? No, maybe not. But the film is. The film is going. Uh, <laughs> the film is opening yeah. up in, in Monterrey and it's opening up in Tijuana, just below, you know, the neighbor city of Amazing. The San Diego. San it's Diego. opening up in yeah. Guadalajara in, and well, at different cities. So, I, yeah. but it's so, it, and and I can see there's a lot of Mexican friends in the waiting room here or in listening, but who doesn't want to talk to us. But you're welcome to to the screenings now in Mexico. Uh, I will be present at, at quite a few occasions. So come in and talk to me and tell your friends to come. Because when a film is out on, on theaters in a country, you need to support it the first week because then you they book the next week. So now it's... It's uh -huh. running in many cinemas for a week, so if people show up, it will keep going. So, and we don't have any money for publicity. So, the the only money we have is our friends, and and I have to count you in, <laughs> everybody who's <laughs> listening here. If you want this film, this debate to be strong, also in Mexico, support it. But also, if you are in other countries. Uh, the film can still be booked through us. Just write to us and we will help you to, to get the film. So do that. Uh, I could see Sorcha was out there, Sorcha Edwards from Housing Europe, but uh, maybe she was just checking in. It's okay. People are busy doing other stuff. Uh, so 
Leilani, do you have any final words of wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no, I'm no putting pressure words on you. <laughs> of wisdom. You know that. I'm a lightweight. Um, <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I'm about to take a deep dive with the deputy director of uh, The Shift, Julieta Peruca, who was also online, but I don't know if she still is. Um, we are about to do a deep dive uh, on Palestine. And uh, people should look to our social media channels. Uh, we'll probably be doing a few things there. And then eventually uh, we're working with a, a, th a third party and uh, we can talk about what we're doing. But some very interesting housing issues uh, for the Palestinians, obviously living in the occupied West Bank and occupied Palestinian territories. Um, and probably a little known fact that for Israelis living in Tel Aviv, it's one of the most expensive financialized housing markets out there. Um, so we're not actually going there to look at that, but that is a, a huge issue for uh, Israelis in, in Tel Aviv in particular. Um, but we'll be, we'll be talking about Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. So look for our, look for us on social media on that. Uh, Oh, wait, I understand that there is a city councillor from uh, Mexico, from Jalisco, Mexico, on the call. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a city councillor from Hamilton, Ontario. Maybe we should just see if either of them wants to speak. I don't have their... Uh, oh, it's, it's Narinda Nan from Hamilton. And I think it's Susana from Jalisco. But I hope I'm getting the names right. Good afternoon. Oh. oh, there we go. Hello, Councillor. Welcome. What's going on in Hamilton, Ontario these days? Oh, my goodness. So, you know, the lead story this morning was a middle class income uh, couple who are getting kicked out of their home. Uh, can't afford it anymore. The house has sold. It's uh, going It's going to be renovated. And they have until the end of April to find a new home. And they can't find one in the city that they can afford. And this is a middle class you know, two in income earners in the household with two children who are being priced out of this city. Um, we're experiencing a complete overcapacity of our family-based shelter system. We've already experienced it relates to women. We've already experienced it as it relates to men. During this pandemic, we've been doing everything like any other municipality has been doing, taking every freaking hotel room we can get in order to make sure people have a safe shelter and at the same time, we see a market that's completely going bananas and skyrocketing, totally inhumane conditions in terms of affordability. So we're like most other communities here, right, talking about just how much of a crisis is going on. Um, and spring is coming. And, you know, we've had a surge of people living encamped in our city parks and have had a policing of our bylaw kind of take a priority instead of a human rights based approach that says keep people where they are, even if they are encamped and get them the supports that they need and work towards finding the permanent housing solution that those individuals need. So yeah, I would say that our entire system here is maxed out and stretched out, and it's just absolutely disheartening to see how much market impact is falling on the shoulders of the public system and how deeply uninvested in uh, the federal government and provincial government have been during this pandemic to flow the funds that are actually needed to get rid of the wait lists that would allow us to outflow uh, to get people into social housing. And, and put in real regulations to, to <laughs> limit what's happening in the private market right now. Um, I just can't believe that the two years of this pandemic have gone by without this, uh, without this being integrated as a health response. And Absolutely. Canada is a rich country. 10th yep. richest in the world by GDP, if you, if you like that measure. And I mean, yours, Councillor Nan, your story is the story of the world where cities are besieged dealing with all of the world's problems on their doorstep and national governments not being responsive to that and and never inviting them to the table for proper conversations and uh, ensuring they have the capacity and resources to implement the human right to housing. It's a case in point. Um, but, uh, Councillor Nan, uh, Nan, I will invite you to the Right to Home Working Group that has been established by cities across Canada. I think I invited you once before, but it was a very bad time for you as a city councillor. Um, but I'm going to invite you back because um, city, cities around um, the country in Canada are convening in this uh, working group and trying to push uh, different levels of government to be more responsive to the issues you raise. So thanks so much. And you're so articulate. Thank you very much for calling in and giving us this. I, 
eyewitness uh, report from Hamilton, Ontario, a city on the other side of the from Lake Ontario from from Toronto, and uh, we actually in push we have a little segment of tenants in Hamilton taking the fight. Beautiful people who are into a, a rent strike. So there, there are some struggle-based people, you know, struggle-minded people in, in Hamilton, which we appreciate. Most certainly. And they're, they're making a very important impact here locally, uh, keeping tenants organized, uh, making sure that uh, people are being cared for through a mutual aid model, but also holding um, those who need to be accountable, held accountable. So, yeah, the community has been incredible. And uh, certainly there is a movement afoot. That's cool. Thank you very much for your work. and. F- for keeping it up. We all have to keep it up a lot. It can feel a bit tiring sometimes, but I think it's also a good thing to know that we are many and we are around the globe and a lot of people are kind of pushing in the same direction. It helps, as also Leilani, as knowledge helps, the understanding of what is going on. I think this is the big debate here in Mexico is that it started off as a debate on gentrification and now it's quite quickly moved over to be an understanding of the bigger story, the deeper story, the financialization of, of our homes. Our homes turned into commodities on a market. A perfect way to end. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's hard to stop this, but thank you very much. And uh, Have a good day and see you soon again. Yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for participating, listening in. And thanks, Frederick, for uh, convening us. Good luck in Mexico. Muchas gracias. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Bye, everyone. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushback talks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.